All right, we're good to go. All right, take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I want to talk to you from the subject of an unshakable faith. An unshakable faith. In the words of my fellow Memphian, Jerry Lee Lewis, uh, there's been a whole lot of shaking going on. You know what I'm saying? Been, these are crazy, crazy, crazy times that we've been living in. And it seems like everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You know, the Bible actually prophesies that, right? That everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That, that, that goes from nation, na- nations, that goes from our personal lives. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Uh, it, it, and it seems like everything in our lives, from, from the virus and our health care and all those kind of things, uh, to our politics and all the, the, the rioting and all the crazy stuff that's been happening from city to city, uh, it seems like everything just kind of shook up. Like somebody shook the Coke bottle and took the lid off, you know what I mean? It's crazy. And, and if you think about it, now, I don't want to over-spiritualize something, but I don't want to under-spiritualize it and be deceived. But it just seems like there's just been a demonic attack released on this nation. I mean, it really does. And if you don't believe that, you just watch some of the videos and see some of the manifestations that's happening. It ain't no doubt. Ain't no doubt who's behind it all. But there's, everything's being shaken. So in these crazy times, my interest is in helping you when everything is being shaken, helping you and I to have a faith that is unshakable. You know, Scripture says this. It says about the kingdom that we're part of, the kingdom of God, that everything will be shaken, but we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So now as we plug into Jesus, I want us to have the kind of faith that can weather any storm. So let's build our faith on the kingdom of God and what Jesus teaches. Now in Acts chapter 20, just a little bit of the backstory here. Paul is, is kind of getting towards the end of his, his life and ministry, okay? He's traveled all over the area, all over uh, that, that Asia part and, and on into Europe and Greece and, and Corinth and all those kind of areas right there. Uh, he, he's traveled all up through there. Now he's kind of coming to, to closer to the end of his life and he wants to go back to Jerusalem. Now the last time he was in Jerusalem, it wasn't all that good. Not for him. A lot of persecution, a lot of, a lot of turmoil, a lot of, a lot of opposition there. But now he just feels in his heart that it's God's will for him to go back to Jerusalem. All right, so now that's important. He believes that it's God's will for him to go back. Now, in this Acts 20, he's in a small town called Miletus. It's a coastal city right there. If, if you were to go on one of my turkey trips with me, uh, we'd go to Miletus. It, it, in that day and age, it was a coastal town. Now it's about 10 miles in from the regression of, the, of the, the sea and all that kind of thing. It was a coastal city, and it's not far from the city of Ephesus. Remember Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, written to the uh, Ephesians, the, the people of Ephesus? This is in the area that we know today as Turkey. Now, before sailing sailing from Miletus, he calls for the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, hey, gang, let's have have a meeting together, and I got some things I want to share with you. So they come together to have this meeting, and that's where we pick up our text. Uh, can Can you read with me in verse 17? In fact, stand with me, will you? Stand with me and just read this along from verse 17 to verse 24. It says this, from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, had come to Paul, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Now, Asia, don't, don't think India, Asia. Asia just simply is a word that means east. Okay? Now, this was the eastern part of the Roman Empire, that part of Asia. Okay? It's Turkey, modern-day Turkey area today, where those seven churches are. Verse 19. I came to you serving the Lord with all humility, 
with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. That's not a really good word, is it? I mean, we, we like good words and good prophecies and people speak good things to us. Uh, but what he keeps getting as a word from the Lord is, hey, it's going to be trouble when you go there. It's going to be serious trouble. It's going to cost you your life, really. Okay? And verse 24 is where I want to hang my hat. Listen to what he says. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Let's talk about an unshakable faith. I want to look at that phrase, but none of these things move me. Don't you want to be like that? Come on, let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, help us. Uh, we read from one of our brothers, Lord, about a faith that can't be moved, can't be shaken. Lord, I pray you'd help us with that. Help us to grow stronger. Encourage us. Holy Spirit, speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, gang. None of these things move me. Say that with me. None of these things move me. All right. Now, the word things is really interesting right there because in the Greek, it's the word logos. You probably heard that, that I did before. It, it, it simply means when it's logos, it means it's something that's spoken or something that's said. It's, it's words that are spoken to you. All right. So he's literally saying that none of these words that, that all these bad things are going to happen, they don't move me off of my mission for Jesus. You hear None of these things move me. They don't move me off track. Now, I like his attitude. Don't you like his attitude? I mean, how can Paul talk like this, especially under threat of his life? Did he know something that we, we may not know? Did he have a little bit more foundation than what we have? Can we have that kind of unshakable faith? I, I believe we can. I believe we can. So we're, we're going to learn from one of the greatest teachers that the world has ever known. Outside of the Lord Jesus himself, I believe Paul is the next man up. No doubt about it. I mean, the Lord has put great confidence in him to, so that he can have fruit in everybody's life who names the name of Jesus from here on. And this teacher says, I've got the kind of faith that certain words don't move me. All right. Now, three sources of words that can move us off track. You know, you can be moved off track. You know what I'm talking about? You can be bumped off track, get off course, fall into sin, fall into discouragement, fall into all kinds of things that causes you to pull back and not do what God called you to do. So three sources of words that can, that can hinder us. Number one is our adversary. He speaks oftentimes. He speaks loud and clear sometimes. He's known as the father of lies. And what's the only cure for a lie? It's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. He wants to speak lies into us and get us off course. Lies about our lives, about lies about our own selves, lies about our relationships, lies about what God is doing or not doing in our life. All kinds of lies and all kinds of things. Our adversary wants to speak so that he can move us off track. He wants word. He speaks words to us. When God speaks, we call it inspiration. When the enemy speaks, we call that temptation. He speaks doubt. He speaks confusion and chaos and all sorts of temptation. All in the purpose to move us in the wrong direction. 
You know what? I, I found out this about the enemy. He doesn't care what direction you go in as long as it's just not the right direction. He really don't care if you go left, right, front, backwards, sideways. He don't really care which way you go as long as you don't go right. Now, Paul likens this. Remember, remember over in Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about, after he goes through the whole armor of, of God, he says, and take up the shield of faith. Remember that? The shield of faith which can quench what? Remember the wording? It can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You remember that? So he's talking about a faith right there in Ephesians 6 that can quench all of these fiery darts. I kind of liken these words to those fiery darts. You think about the, the day and age he was talking about. They have warfare. The bow and arrow was a big deal or the crossbow, something like that, was a big deal in their warfare. That was some of the highest technology that it had. And what sometimes they would do with those arrows, they would wrap them in cloth and dip it in tar and they would light it on fire. And they would shoot it at the adversary. And whatever that arrow stuck to, guess what happened? It burnt like fire. I mean, it did its job. Now think about that, because Paul says these words that the adversary speaks to us are like those fiery darts. You've had it happen to you before. I promise you, you have. Somebody offends you. They say something or don't do something or whatever that, that, that maybe hurts your feelings. Maybe, maybe it was even intentional. Maybe they meant to hurt your feelings. But you know what that thing does? When it lodges in your heart... It just sits there, and what does it do? It burns, doesn't it? It burns. It burns, and it tells you all kinds of ways to react, all kinds of things that you ought to do. And that fiery dart just sits there in your heart, and it just burns, and it burns, and it burns until you react in the wrong manner. See, that's what these words are like. These words that the adversary speaks to us are like those fiery darts, those words that say that you're less than, that you're not ever going to be, that you can't, you won't, you don't, you shouldn't. All those words, they sit in our hearts. And the only thing that Paul tells us, the only thing that can quench those fiery darts is the faith that God is good and the faith that God is working in our lives. And that by itself takes those darts, puts them out, dislodges it from your heart, helps you heal, and you move forward in strength. You hear what I'm talking about? Our adversary's words are real important that we don't let them lodge. Another source, we talk a lot about that. But another source of words that can move us off track. Remember, none of these things, none of these words move me. Some of the words are the words that just roll over in our own heads, our own imaginations. You know what? You can think yourself right out of victory. You can think yourself right off track with God. Our worries and our fears, Jesus speaks a lot about those things so that we don't allow them to knock us off track. Now they come. But don't let them stay. Don't let them just sit there like that fiery dart because it will knock you off track. So our imaginations. And in fact, I found out sometimes I don't even need the devil. I can, I can do bad all by myself. You know what I'm talking about? Just in my own cranium. It's an echo and all that kind of. And the same movie playing over and over and over and over. Crazy stuff sometimes. Crazy, crazy stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Another source of words is other people. Oftentimes people speak discouraging things to us. Some intentional, some maybe not intentional. People can speak negative words to us that lodge in us. You know what they tell us psychologically? That for every negative word spoken to you, in order for you to counteract it, you need seven to ten positive words spoken to you. You know, they say that kind of thing. I don't know how they figure that kind of stuff out, but that's what I've heard. You've heard that? Why? Because we just seem to receive negative better. 
That's why on TV all you ever see is bad news because we receive that. If they had a good news channel, which they actually do, a lot of Christian teachings, things like that, they actually have good news channels. But if they had a real good news channel, not many people would watch it because we just have an attraction towards negative, don't we, as human beings. We need to get free from that because it's only good news that can set you free. So these negative words, and, and hey, if, if you're in relationship, which we all are with, with other people, be very careful about your words. They have power. The power of life and death is in your tongue, the scripture says. You got to be careful with that, don't you? So, so people's words can sometimes move us off track if we're not. Hateful words, bad report, excuse me, bad reports, all that kind of stuff. So these three sources, got to be real careful. Be careful what you hear from your adversary, your imaginations, and other people. Be careful. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence. I kind of like the word guard right there. That's really what that word keep means. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of your heart spring all the issues of your life. Guard your heart. So how do you guard your heart? Well, I don't just put a guard over my heart. The, the funnel into my heart is my ears. The funnel into my heart is my eyes. The funnel in my heart is my imagination and my thoughts, all those kind of things. And all that funnels down in my heart. I've got to guard myself. Be careful what goes in because it will affect what comes out. I promise you. That's what he's telling us. Be careful these words don't move you off track. An unshakable faith. You know, Jesus talked about an unshakable faith. If you get your Bible, keep your finger right there in Acts 20. Flip over to Matthew 7. 7, 24 through 27. Now, what you have in Matthew 7 is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the part we're going to read is kind of like the altar call that Jesus gives at the end of it all. It's kind of the summation point of, of, of everything and, and the way he wants us to react to what he's saying. It's called the parable of the wise and foolish builders. Jesus says this right here in verse 24. Now, we're talking about an unshakable foundation. How do you, how do you build a foundation that can't be shaken? Jesus tells us, really. Whoever hears these sayings of mine, Jesus speaking here, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. The foundation's real important, isn't it? Verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, according to what Jesus says right here, what is a surefire way to build an unshakable life? He says to build your house upon the rock, right? Now, what is the rock? It's Jesus and his teachings. Jesus says this, the rock is this. When you build your life on me, the rock, it's because you have heard what I've said, but not just hear only, but what else? You do what I said. You put into practice what I say. You take very seriously what Jesus teaches, and then you put forth the effort to do what he says. So it's not just enough to hear, because the foolish man, the foolish woman, hears, but they don't act on it. We've all played that part before, haven't we? We've heard, but yet failed to do. Now, I've, I've told you the illustration, like if we were in Israel, I would, I would, I would take you to a, a, a floodplain where I believe something like this would be an illustration in people's minds that, that right there, that there's a floodplain, kind of like right here. 
Kind of like right from right here all the way down. It's a floodplain, right? It's a floodplain. And we, if we went and stood over by that creek and I said to you that a foolish person, a person that hears Jesus but doesn't really do what he says or ignores Jesus, acts like he's not important, would be like somebody that goes over here in this sandy bottom of this creek over here and builds a $250,000 house. What would you think about that person? You've heard me tell you this before. What would you think about that person? Like I told you, what, what, what would you think about a preacher who came from Memphis, bought that piece of property, bought that acre of land right over there, and said, this is my new homestead. I'm going to build a house right over there underneath that big old tree. What would you say? Oh, that's a nice house, but that's a stupid preacher. <laughs> why? But why? Why? Because soon there's going to come a rain. And what's going to happen to the water? It's going to rise. And what's going to happen to the house? It's going to fall. It's going to wash away. Now the rain... The flood and all of that stuff comes to all people, doesn't it? It comes to the wise person. It comes to the foolish person. The difference is that one will stand and one will not. So if we were standing in that creek bottom and just maybe the elevation was a little bit higher right beside us, we'd be right there. If we were in Israel, this would be the case. We'd be right in that, that bottom of that valley. And Jesus would say, would you rather build your house right here in this valley or would you rather build it up there on that rock? What would your answer be? Give me the high ground. I'll take that rock up there. That's what Jesus is saying. You want to build a life? Hey, storms are coming. Storms are coming. And in fact, really and truly, if you want to be honest with me, not to, not to throw more heavy on us, there's a stronger storm coming than what we've experienced even so far. Will your faith in Christ weather the storm? Jesus said, if you hear and do what I'm saying, I'll guarantee you that you'll have a life that will last. All right? So how do you build an unshakable faith? Build a strong relationship with Jesus, hear what he teaches, and do it. And do it. Some people say, well, some of the stuff he says is kind of confusion. confusing. I found out the parts of the Bible that bother me the most are not the parts I don't understand. <laughs> the parts that bother me the most are the parts I do understand. And I found out that 95 to 99% of what Jesus says is very understandable. You, you know what I'm talking about? Do what he says, Jesus said. Now back to Acts 20. Go back over to verse number 24 of Acts 20. Let's look at four ways to see yourself according to just what Paul says right here. Can you have an unshakable faith? I, I, I believe you can. and I believe you need to see yourself in these four ways that Paul just kind of outlines real simply right here. In verse number 24. Number one, I want you to see yourself as an accountant. Number two, I want you to see yourself as a runner. Number three, I want you to see yourself as a manager. And number four, see yourself as a witness. Right there. Number one, see yourself as an accountant. Say, oh, buddy, that was my worst class in college. Anybody like that? Mm, I did not like accounting. I had to take it twice, accounting one and accounting two. Anybody feel me on that? Oh, Lord. Crunching the numbers. He says this right here. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Paul learned to count different than most people in his generation, most people that's ever lived. Paul learned to count differently. When Paul met Jesus, it changed everything. It changed the way he assessed his life. It changed the way he looked at his past. It changed the way he looked at his future. It changed the way as he, that he looked at every day of his life. It changed the way he counted. 
And I want to submit to you that we need to become better spiritual accountants and learn to balance the books of our lives in a very different manner than most people that we know. Paul would look back at his life and he said, some things just didn't add up right anymore. He looked at his life as a Pharisee. He looked at his life as trying to be one of the most educated people of all of his day. Do you realize they tell us that, that Paul and his education in equivalency, the education that he had probably would have been equivalent to like four to five PhDs today. He was a smart man. It's one of the ways God could use him so much because he, he just could make sense of everything, it seems like. But after he got hooked up with Jesus, some of that stuff that he was pursuing just didn't add up right anymore. His, his pursuits of power and his pursuits of prestige and recognition. He said, now I've learned to count different. I got to subtract all that out. He says it like this. I count all of that as rubbish. It's just a bunch of garbage to me now. All that pursuit of power and all that pursuit of prestige and trying to be recognized and seen and heard and try to be the big man on campus and try to be the big man in the city. All that kind of stuff. He said, it's just absolutely this. It's very crude in the, in the language. It says, it's absolutely dung is what he says. Y'all know what dung is, right? You can go look it up later if you don't know. Why did he say something like that? He learned to count different. What happened to Paul is he got bumped off of self-center in his life. He was no longer the central focus of his life. Life was not just about him. It was not just about his desires and what he could get out of the deal. Everything changed when he met Jesus. Jesus speaks to this. He says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, followers of Jesus, they, we learn to count different. We no longer start off counting with ourselves as number one. We, 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 we stop doing that. We've learned to put ourselves on the back burner. We've learned to put Jesus first. We've learned to put his kingdom first. We've learned to put his ways first. His will first. We've learned to put others ahead of our needs. At least we're learning that. We've learned to serve. And we learn the wonderful truth that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You know why? See, because when I, when I, before I knew Jesus, it was all about counting all the stuff that I got. And what I, now I met Jesus, now it's about counting all the stuff that I can give. How can I help this brother? How can I help this sister? How can I help our community? How can I help whatever needs to be helped? How can I help somebody? He got bumped off self-center. Got to balance your books a little different. You learn to count different. And here's the truth. One day, you and I will give an account to God on how we counted. You realize that day's coming? For all of it. We don't know what day that might be. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be 20, 30, 40 years down the road. I'm not sure where, what day it's going to be. But there will come a day that you and I will give an account of all the accounting of our life. And how we counted things. How we prioritized our life. How we lived our life. See yourself as an accountant. Number two, see yourself as a runner. You're tired already, right? Just thinking about it, where's you at? <laughs> 
See yourself as a runner. This is what he says right here. I learned to count different so that I may finish my race with joy. Say that with me. So that I may finish my race with joy. See yourself as running a race. Like every, every single day of your life is a race. It's a race towards the finish line. And this line does have a finishing that steps right into eternity, actually. See yourself as running a race, Paul said. He says this several times throughout all of his writings, actually. Now, if you were getting ready to run a race, what would you do? But what would be the thing? Let's say there's a 5K that's going to be held down in Gilbert Town, and you, and you know it's going to happen in, in October. What are you going to do? You're going to train. Why, why are you going to train? So you don't die. <laughs> so you don't stroke out. So that you're ready, right? You train to get ready. That's what Paul is saying. He said, I've seen my life as a race, so that's why I train myself. That's why I condition myself. That's why I strengthen myself in certain ways, and I train. I think sometimes we think that all this stuff, one day is we're going to wake up and it all just fell out of heaven on top of us. It doesn't happen like that a lot of times. Thank God for those miracle times when that does happen. But for the most part, what you and I have to do if we're going to be strong in our faith, if we're going to have this kind of unshakable faith and complete what God wants us to complete, we're going to have to train. That means you take your Christian life very seriously. It means you take your relationship with Christ and His people very seriously. It means it becomes priority for you. And you see yourself as running a race. Now, and Paul says this, I don't want you to just get out there and run a race. You know, because it's just in me. I don't know what it is. If we're playing ping pong, if we're playing checkers, if we're playing Uno, skip bow, it don't matter, whatever it is, or running the race, guess what? Guess what's in me? It's in me to win. I don't know how it is in you. I mean, we're going to win. I mean, my goal in life when I was coming up with Lily was to make her a good loser. <laughs> I would teach her how to lose so that when she learned how to lose, then she would know how to win. I'm serious now. Y'all think I'm playing all these parents now, they say, oh, honey, oh, 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 I missed that. Uh-uh, it wasn't like that. You set that up like, bam. Um. <laughs> and Grant, you know anything about that? <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of facetious, but, but really, whenever I, I, I put my hand to something, I, I want to do it with the best of my ability and do it with the idea of I'm going to win. If I step on the ball field, I, I, I hate to lose. I just hate to lose. And Paul said, I want to run my Christian life with that idea that I hate the fact that I might lose. I'm going to press everything I've got into it so that when I run for Jesus, I'm going to run to win. I'm going to put everything in it. Nobody's going to say you didn't give everything you got because when I get to the finish line, I'm falling out because I gave everything I've got. And we'll be to the ball players that get to the end of the game and their uniform's not dirty and they're not sweating. I can't stand that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? You've got to give it. Oh, you got. And Paul said this is what he does in his life with God. He runs to win. Because he realized that, you know, there's no participation trophies in this kingdom. One guy thought that. Jesus said that a king came and he gave a guy five talents and he gave a guy two talents and he gave a guy one talent. And one guy just thought he was going to get a trophy for participating. <laughs> It didn't work that way. The guy with two doubled what he had. The guy with five doubled what he had and had ten. And the guy with one, he just participated and went through the motions. Didn't really do much or nothing. 
Jesus called him a wicked and lazy servant. So you know what he said? You know what would be said today? Oh, he's only got one and he had a hard time and it was just not, life just came at him wrong and he just wasn't born on the right side of the track. So he had a tough time. So what I want you to do is you who have 10, I want you to take like three of yours and give to him. Is that what Jesus said? Jesus is not a socialist, is he? <laughs> Jesus said, in this kingdom, you got to put forth some effort. So since you didn't and you wasted what you had because you're lazy, I'm going to take what I gave to you away from you and give it to the one who did the best. That's how this kingdom works. That's how this nation works too, actually. You hear what I'm talking about? I'm not trying to get politics, but you can't really get around it when you hear Jesus talking. Because it's not really politics, it's just life. You know? I, for some reason, I want to say like 20 more things, but I better move on. <laughs> Run it to win it. I'm in it to win it, ain't you? I hope you are. Now, it's just interesting to me. He says, so that I may finish my race What's that last phrase? With joy. With joy. Doug, that's one of your phrases. You like that joy idea. With joy. That, that, I, I think the idea is, is that if you're not enjoying yourself serving Jesus, you're not doing it right. If you're not having a good time, now I know there's going to be hard times, difficult times, and grievous times. No doubt about it. We're going to have loss sometimes. But if you're not getting the joy of the Lord... We're not doing it right. So Paul, if we, if we could go and read some of his testimony, his resume, and all the hardships. I mean, they, I mean, he's got a line of hardships longer than my leg. I mean, just horrible things that happened to him. And this man who goes through all these shipwrecks and all these stonings and beatings and persecutions and oppression and all kind of crazy stuff that happens to him. He can look back at the end of his life and say... It wasn't all fun, but I enjoyed my ride. <laughs> he said, I want, I want to finish this with joy. May they see us running with joy. Now look at this, to wrap up this point about being a runner. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He's talking about our spiritual walk with God, the spiritual run. Our spiritual life. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. In other words, they, they, they have self-control. If you're running a race, that means you control what you eat. You control your sleeping patterns. You control how late you stay up at night. You control every aspect of your life if you want to be number one. Now they do it. The world does it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. I think he would say to us, how much more should we put our effort into it? How much more with the reward that's at the end of the finish line? How much more should we run our race with everything we've got and do it with joy in our heart? You know, Jesus did that. I mean, it's, it's, it says something really crazy about the cross. It says Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What helped him, helped him get through the hardest time that any human being could ever go through. 
was the joy that was set before him. Help us, Lord, with that. Third thing to look at ourselves as is a manager. So we got an accountant, we got a runner, now we got a manager. We may use the word steward in, in theological circles and biblical talk and all that kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about, steward or stewardship. He says this, so that I may finish or complete the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. Paul saw his life as a ministry. He saw his life as a gift from God. And he took personal responsibility for what God had given him. Now think about that. Everything that you've got, everything you've got that's good, came as a gift from God. Your family, your job, your finances, your food, your intelligence, your experiences, your joy, your peace. You, you name it. We, we could go on and on about listing, listing our blessings, and it would be real important to learn to count them. All that's a gift from God. It's going to take a lot of work and effort, but it's a gift from God. I like to say it like this. Your life and all that's good in it is a gift from God. And what you do with it is your gift to God. See, it's all a gift from God, but what I do with it, now that becomes my gift to God. It's a, it's a form of worship, how I handle the things he gave me. And the wise manager works hard to please his boss, to please his master. The wise manager works hard, but in this kingdom, here, here's the deal. This is, this is a great part about our kingdom and our idea of managing what we've got in our life. The wise manager works hard and he gets God involved in the management of what he's about to do. Because, see, we're not left to ourselves and all that. You don't have to do all this by yourself. You don't have to manage your life by yourself. You don't have to manage your finances by yourself, your children, your family, your job, all the things that's coming to you, the opportunities and decisions. You don't have to manage all that by yourself. You literally have God to help you. And Jesus says, come on, I'll walk with you. I'll, I'll teach you how to do it. Learn from me. You don't have to do it alone in the management of your life. Your time, your talent, your treasure, ask God to help you manage it right. Because at the end of the day, we want him to say, well done. You did a good job. So I encourage you, break it down. Break down some of the, the, the categories of your life, maybe. So maybe. Maybe the different compartments. I know we see it all as a whole sometimes, but, but, but think about your job. How are you doing in managing your job as it pertains to God's will and kingdom in your life? How are you managing with that? What about your children? What about your money and your generosity and all those kind of things dealing with your resources? How, how are you doing in managing all that? I'm telling you, the wise person will ask the question to God before they're asked the question from God. Because when we stand face to face and ask the question of him then, it's going to be too late. So break it down. Lord, Lord what do you think? How am I doing in this area? How, how am I doing over here? You know what I find out about my life how I, when, I, when I do that kind of thing? I find out I'm, I'm doing pretty good over here. But boy, over here, woo, woo, <laughs> we need some work to, to be done. So ask him. Let's be a faithful manager. And the last, see yourself. In order to build this unshakable faith, see yourself as a witness. He says it like this. 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See yourself as a witness. Now, as, as a believer, we don't go witnessing. We actually are the witness. Does that make sense to you? Now, the witness can go witnessing. Don't get me wrong. But witnessing is not something that we do. It actually is something that we are. And we give testimony of God. We give evidence that he lives. We get evidence that Jesus has raised from the dead because I've encountered him. We give evidence and witness to what we've seen, heard, and know. However small that might be or however great that might be. Paul said right here, he says he testifies to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, if we could just sum up the gospel of the grace of God, according to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would say Jesus came, Jesus died, and he rose again on the third day. That'd be like a succinct way of saying the gospel message. Now, that's the overall picture. But now I make it personal. Jesus, the testifying of the grace of God in my life is Jesus came to me in this way, this day, in this manner. It becomes important. Not only do we testify what Matthew says in the book, but I testify about what he has done in me. Does that make sense? I give witness and credence that God is alive. So as a witness, we're given a charge by God to help people see the goodness and grace of God. Help them see it all around them. Whether it be in creation or whether it be in acts and things that's happening in their life, you see it as a witness and now we help them see it as the witness. See what I'm talking about? Can you see it? Can you see it? So there's great power in retelling the Jesus story. Scriptures, great power in that. You ought to get good at it. But there's also great power in you telling your story with Jesus. That's important, isn't it? That's part of my witness. And one of the reasons why we bear witness of God, if, if I give my testimony to somebody or, 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 testimony, or testimony of the grace of God in whatever fashion that might be, one of the reasons I do that is by faith, I hope that what God did in my life, he'll do in your life. You see what I'm talking about? If God set me free from something and I tell you that story, my hope is that you participate in this freedom and you taste of the goodness of God and you get free too. If God has restored my life, which he has in many, many different ways. If God has restored my life and I tell you stories about D23 and tornadoes and all that kind of stuff, my hope is that when you come to your breaking point and when you come to your restoration point and that tornado hits your life, that you can believe God. Hey, God did it for Pastor Ron. I believe he's going to do it for me. That's part of why we witness. You know that. It's not so that you can think about my story, really. It's so that you can get help for your story. We testify believing that God will do it again and give evidence. And that evidence creates faith. You got it? Paul says it like this. 
None of these things, none of these words move me. I've already set my face towards it. God's already told me what he wants me to do. I'm going forward. I'm going to do what he says. And you can't move me off course. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. An unshakable faith. Hear Jesus, do what he says. See yourself as an accountant, as a runner, as a manager, and a witness. And you'll build a life that one day when you come face to face with God, he'll say, good job. Good job. Lord, help us. Help us. We're too easily moved off course, Lord. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'd breathe and strengthen your people. You breathe into us strength from on high. Help us. We hear the words of our brother. We hear his testimony. We believe you to do it again in us. Help us, Lord. We need a faith. In these shaking times, we need an unshakable faith in the God who can never be moved. 